These are my closest confidence. These are my friends. This is my inner circle. We are the inner circle, baby. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Dynamite. I'm John Pollock, joined by Wei Ting, and it is Wednesday night. That means double the programs, double the podcast reviews here at Post Wrestling. Hello, everybody. How are you, Wei? I'm doing well. These Wednesdays, quickly becoming my favorite day of the week. Oh, your favorite. Last week, I mean, there was a lot going on. I can't say it, it was... It was much more chaotic last week. This week, I did not have the same urgency to try and keep up with both shows at the same time. It was just I watched AEW, and I kept tabs on NXT, like what was happening, just to be aware if there was anything uh, big. But I haven't watched NXT. I've only kind of skimmed through what happened on the show. So this one, this was a more calm Wednesday night than last week. I think if if, if you're somebody who perhaps has to like do a podcast or write a, a report talking about both shows you you might have a bit more incentive to watch both at the same time and you know i i could say for myself it wasn't really that pleasant of an experience beyond the hysteria of like wow cool wrestling going head to head i it's not the way i typically would like to enjoy my wrestling though and especially if i'm trying to take notes trying to concentrate on one of them um i much prefer watching them separately either back to back or you know um with with separate viewings Coming into tonight, what kind of um, momentum did you feel for both shows, respectively? Great momentum for AEW. I mean, I think, you know, all the press coming out of that uh, tremendous rating from Wednesday, I feel would have contributed to even more attention than they had for their debut here. So I'm really curious to see what number they do for this particular show. Uh, In contrasting that with NXT, where I feel like the press from AEW's win you know, gave gave NXT the reverse. And I think you, you, you couple that with what is obviously a weaker card this week for them than last week. It feels like, um, I think, uh, I guess, momentum, <laughs> if, we, if we have to use that term, was certainly with AEW. Um, I feel far less with NXT this week. If everything was equal tonight, I would say AEW is going to do a significantly bigger number than NXT. And I think that may even be the case, uh, but we will get into that with um, the, the baseball playoffs tonight, which kind of threw a wrench into things. But I don't think NXT tonight, if you missed last week, they gave you no reason over the last week to change your viewing habits this week. I thought that they did very little. They announced two matches going into tonight, none of which I would categorize as uh viewing changes for you if you were watching AEW that I have to go see this match. I thought the treatment of promoting NXT on Raw was almost non-existent. And I I think they did a really poor job to try and attract people that maybe skipped out on last week's show. I just felt NXT had very little buzz going into tonight's show. And AEW kind of just got this, this victory lap this week. That's what it felt like going in. And maybe the numbers will bear out something different, but, um, I guess we can mention that uh, off the top here that there was the potential of a conflict tonight because TBS was running back-to-back playoff games from Major League Baseball. And if the Cardinals-Braves game didn't end by 8.37 p.m., which is when the second game was going to start, uh, one of the games was going to get picked up on TNT 
and it would force AEW to be off TNT. So to prevent any uh, loss of Dynamite, they decided to simulcast them on TNT and True TV. So you may have a, an instance where people just started watching on True TV, knowing that I know True TV isn't going to get interrupted if this game goes long. Uh, that didn't happen. The game did end on time, so TNT did not get interrupted. But you'll have to look at both those numbers because you may have somewhat split the audience between TNT and True TV on Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, conversely, do you think the extra airing on True TV would have helped them gain anybody? They may, when you add it up, I mean, they may have picked up more people by being on on two networks as opposed to one. On top of that, there was going to be an immediate replay, just as they did last week at 10 p.m. on TNT. So when you add up all those airings, um, I'm sure like a very healthy number of people watched uh, AEW on 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 Wednesday night, and I'm I'm still believing AEW is going to do the superior number when we get it in on Thursday. Yeah, I don't think to me there, there's any question. Uh, that that they probably will if we're comp- comparing them. I mean, I think a move like that really shows how valuable of a property Turner sees AEW to give them that amount of you know leeway to be on both both of their like you know very big channels at the same time. All right, before we get into the review of Dynamite, uh, we have a giveaway to do. Yes, that's right. This is uh, uh, something we would typically do on a Rwanda Smackdown, but since that show has now moved to Fridays, we are going to give our weekly t-shirt giveaway right here on this show every single week on a Wednesday. So uh, I'm going to pick from our bucket of patrons, which today, John, I'm very pleased to announce we have reached 2,000 patrons of the Post Wrestling Cafe, patreon.com slash postwrestling. Thank you to every single one of you, all 2,000 of you, especially those of you who joined us from day one on December 27th, 2017, all the way till now. Uh, every single week, we give out a t-shirt. We do. Uh, and yes, thank you to to all of you, uh, all supporters. And this is where we are going to give away a t-shirt. So if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you are automatically entered into this draw each and every week when we will give out a prize here on Rewinded Dynamite. So Way is going into the Rewinded Dynamite Tumblr and he is going through 2,000 names. And he has put his hand around number 1,216. And that person's name, of course, when you think of that number, everyone knows that means it's... that uh, uh, Nicholas Da Silva. Yeah, I was going to uh, tell you. Nicholas, Nicholas De Silva, Silva, congratulations. You are this week's winner. Congratulations, Nicholas, and uh, thank you for being a patron, and thank you to every other single one of you for being a part of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Let me do a couple shout-outs here. I want to thank Nav Nanwa. I want to thank Dallas Jarvis, Adam McIntosh, Jeffrey Zapolsky, Christopher Murray, Jason Cunnington, Matthew Chin. I don't think it's that Matthew Chin, but um, I'm, I'm sure... Uh, you know, a really funny one um, otherwise as well. Uh, Jose Mancillas, every single one of you, thank you very much. I could go on and on. Maybe we should just do a show where we may- name- mention every person's, like, all 2,000 people. That would actually be really funny. Yeah. I wonder how, how many people would... Uh... We should try that. We will try that. Okay. Well, are you actually... Seriously? Should we? 
I, I almost feel we should cut this out and we should just like put that out. I think it'd be really funny to be honest with you. I think we should do it like as like a celebration of 2000, you know? Okay, done. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll, 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 we'll maybe do it when? Tomorrow? Friday? No, we, we, we're not going to tell people when it's coming. It's oh. like money in the bank. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. It's going to, it's going to come. Watch, we're going to drop under 2000 now. And then it's going <laughs> to take long some do you of the- think, How long do you think that show will be? 2,000 minutes. I'm going to spend a minute on each person. From Patrick Maynard all the way down to uh, Gary Casey and uh, Jose Aguilera. All of them. I love it. Let's do okay. it. Um, oh, let's, so that's one contest. But that's we also, one contest, yes. Wait, the floor is yours. Well, we also have a second contest to announce on this second edition of Rewanda Dynamite. I mean, as many of you may have heard by now, you know... <laughs> The way these shows starts, it's it's kind of nice to have a clip from from the event. Kind of gets us in the mood, but something's missing. Yeah, Some... we're 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 starting off with IRS's theme. Complete silence, uh, crowd noise, really. So um, yes, I think uh, many of you have asked. In fact, we've actually received a submission already before we even put this word out there. But we... I think I've received a second one. You have? Wow! But we are going to do a rewind a dynamite theme song contest the 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 floodgates are open everybody we want to hear especially those uh very artistic musical of, of you that are out there uh what you can come up with with the words rewind a dynamite in the song something that we can use to start this podcast off every single week for the eternity of time uh very much you know uh look at look at the the bustling careers of colby john of the identity crisis, who just recently opened up for Maestro Fresh West. Did you know that, John? Yeah, and he's also contributing music uh, on that new late night show on on NBC, whose name escapes me. The new Seriously? female late night host. Yeah, he's wow. like pr- providing music for her show. <laughs> so, you know, this is like obviously all thanks to the springboard of Lily Singh. Lily Singh. Oh, I really? Knew- yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Okay, anyway. No, we're we're only kidding. But um we we'd love to By the way, Lily Singh, the second most famous person I know from Scarborough. Is she from Scarborough? I didn't know that. She's, she was born in Scarborough. Wow. Oh, well, who's the first? I'm talking to him. Well, obviously, yeah. I would say me, Lily Singh, number 3, maybe maybe Mike Myers, maybe. Who? So yes, we're doing a Rwanda Dynamite contest. Uh how long maybe we should open this up for 2 weeks, John? I think so. I think at least 2. Uh, I know that we usually just don't put any restrictions. I'm going to make one rule, okay? okay. I know everyone there with their creative juices flowing are going to arrive somewhere with the lyrics, boom goes the dynamite. And that's fine. But if you include boom goes the dynamite, it better be really good, okay? Because I'm, sure. I, I, I hate that catchphrase. Yeah. But if you make it great, then I, I can be swayed. So, uh, you know, maybe some, some, some ground rules, like typically I think what John and I look for is something that is not that long. We're certainly not looking for a three minute song. Yeah, although if you'll you do, be disqualified. Although if you do make a three minute song, but if you submit a 30 second version of it, something that we can, you know, like e- even less than 30, whatever, but something that you think our audience would not feel, uh, unbearable to listen to every single week repeatedly. Uh, somewhere in the vicinity of, like, I would say 30 is, is really good for us. So do your best with that. Uh, you know, we typically look for eh, a good, good music, any style that you want. We're not limited to any type of music whatsoever. So as long as it sounds good, uh, John and I will be the judge. 
All right. So two weeks, that means on – oh, you know what? That would be – Pittsburgh show. That's the Pittsburgh show, which yeah. there is a chance we might be at. Um, well, so okay. you know, we'll, we'll do the contest that week. Like maybe we'll yeah. we'll do it like as a video or so, or something. We'll 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 do the contest that week. But let's make the uh, the deadline that week. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. yes. I'm trying to think like what, what what else we could do with it. But yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll it'll be announced on the 23rd. Okay. So wait. So, oh, so wait a second. What's the contest deadline then? Why not? I'm just saying because if we are gone, we'll be doing the show that night like in a car or something. So it may not be the most conducive for doing a contest. We can make the deadline the 23rd, but then maybe uh, – because I'd like to go through all the submissions. I just don't know how we'll be able to do that if we're – Should we make the contest deadline like the Saturday then? Uh, Which Saturday? The Saturday before. So rather than – Is that enough time? Is 10 days enough time? 10 days. Hmm. <laughs> we should talk about all this before we go on air. Um, let's make it two weeks. And then, you know what? We'll have a, uh, we'll announce it at the end of, of the episode. Like, even if John and I, even if you, we, you and I, like, uh, I feel like even if we record remotely, I can, Get this to work. Wait a minute. If we go, if we go to Pittsburgh, I don't care if we're just doing this all on the air. If we go to Pittsburgh, we're, are we going to stay over there? Is that the plan? I think we have to stay overnight. Like we're not going to. Yeah, like, go yeah. Right. So, the, so it should be fine to do on the twenty third. What am I thinking? I'm, I'm in my head. I'm thinking like we'd be driving, but we're not going to be driving home from Pittsburgh that night. So no. we'd be, we'd be. Yeah, let's make it the twenty third is the dead uh, that morning. Let's make the morning the deadline, and then that night we can go through all of them. Okay, so two weeks exactly. Like, <laughs> forget the last five minutes of whatever John and I were saying. Basically, you have two weeks from today to make your entries. And uh, we usually accept them. We'll make a thread for it on the forum, forum forum.postwrestling.com. You can send links to them that way. We accept SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, anywhere you can upload your songs with a link for people to listen to. Uh, Submit at forum.postwrestling.com in the theme, uh, Rewinded Dynamite theme song contest thread that I'll be making very shortly. Done. All right. Contest has begun. Let's get into Dynamite. From Wednesday night, they were at the Aganis Arena in Boston, Massachusetts, and we started things off with Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Excalibur welcoming us, immediately noting the sellout, and they go through all of the matches immediately. They have the whole lineup of five matches thrown at you right off the top, and we go right into the first video package that features the Young Bucks and the Private Party and setting up this opening round match in the tag tournament. And a nice little touch they had here during the entrances is that other teams were seated in the crowd. We had SCU, and then we had Jack Evans and and Helico, who are not, as we've mentioned, in the tag tournament, but we're just hanging out. Maybe they just want to see this match. Their status at the moment remains um, somewhat mysterious. They're almost like onlookers who are pissed off that they weren't included in the in the tournament, but they they are maintaining a presence and they have a new name. The how high- did they get? How did they get comps? What do you mean? Oh, well, it was, it was a sellout. Legit sellout. I'm sure they know people um, oh. who work there. But um, they they are now known as the Hybrid 2. The Hybrid 2. Yeah, with the number 2. Yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> the match begins. Uh, great reception here. This crowd was tremendous during this match. Oh. They really were super hot. Private Party, for their entrance, they have an Atlas security guy standing in front <laughs> of a velvet rope as they let them in down the ramp. 
Yes, their earlier. their weight is also identified in uh, it's weighed in va- uh, vodka cranberry. Oh wow, it's unique. Matt uh, drove Quen to the floor, Mark Quen, and drop kicked him through the ropes. And then they went to town on Isaiah Cassidy with a backbreaker. And this would be their focus throughout the match, uh, attacking Isaiah Cassidy's back. Um, Cassidy did come back with an Inseguri on the apron and an Asai moonsault. And then Mark Quen, like this crowd was already into this, but they got very, very intense as Mark Quen hit this sequence of dives. He went from one side to the next side. Then he escalated the uh, the dives to a Topecon hero, got back into the ring and went to the opposite side with a Fosbury flop. And after these four consecutive dives, um, it set up a near fall and the crowd was just going insane here with this spot. Set the crowd off, you know, probably set Jim Cornette off as well if he was watching this thing. But, I mean, this was the, this is the style that made them famous. This is the style that made the Bucks famous. It, it, it de- delivered to, I think, uh, great effect here on the opening match. Yeah, so uh, the crowd is a big part of this. Um, Matt hit this running powerbomb to Isaiah Cassidy onto the ramp, and they go back into the ring. There's a slice bread into a power bomb from Nick as they apply the sharpshooter onto Mark Quinn. He gets the rope and they continue to have the heat on Mark Quinn. And as he gets to the corner to try and tag Isaiah Cassidy, Nick Jackson yanks him off the apron. The crowd boos the Bucks. Finally, the tag is made to Cassidy, but he's still uh, injured from the back. And Matt hits him with forearms in the lower back, then hits a series of Northern Lights suplexes, culminating with a double Northern Lights to both private party members, applies the sharpshooter as Cassidy is fighting to the rope. Nick stops him with a face buster into the ring. Quinn eventually uh, gets tagged after Cassidy gets out of the sharpshooter. And they hit a reverse Rana onto Matt, followed by the gin and juice, which I'll never get tired of Tony Schiavone identifying. Quen hit a shooting star press onto Matt for a huge near fall, and then Matt just rotates Quen over into the tombstone position as Nick is getting ready to springboard from the apron, but he gets yanked down by Cassidy, and Quen is able to roll up the distracted Matt Jackson and get the upset pin 13 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, just an unbelievable start here, and completely commercial uninterrupted. Yeah, they saved the commercial, and this was notable as well because now on TSN we got the picture-in-picture commercial. Yeah, I'm we're not all even caught sure. up. Oh, I don't even know. Did TNT get this as well? Did they get it in picture-in-picture? I have to imagine. I'm sure they did. I'm sure this was just like the straight TNT feed that we were getting. Yeah, Right, I would think so too. But yeah, TSN got picture-in-picture commercials now, but they saved it for after the match. So the picture in picture they went tw- they went 22 minutes straight from the th- from the start of the show before they went to a break. The picture in picture was only of like them celebrating as like you know Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy walked up the ramp and like I I found the experience so much more enjoyable and I still stuck around to see all of this stuff because I like one of the, if 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 there was like one complaint maybe I heard about last week was that picture in picture I think as great of an idea as it is actually like makes the viewing experience even more frustrating because I think it's one thing if you're watching SmackDown and it's like, you know, some guy doing a chin lock. But in both like NXT and uh, this edition of, of AEW, like these guys are doing a ton of like really great looking stuff in these in the body of these commercials. So like I'm watching all this, like all this great stuff that I'm just imagining what, you know, the crowd sounding incredible for. And it's almost frustrating because I can't hear it. 
So, um, but here they saved it. They they saved you know just the the commercials for the walkout. Still got me interested in watching the commercial or, or the commercials uh, in the side. I mean, so I I, I love this excellent match. You couldn't have asked for a better TV debut showcase for Private Party. And I think for people who might not be that familiar with the Bucks, I thought this was certainly a way better representation of their style than what you saw in that six-man, you know, kind of a handicap match last week. This was great. The Bucks played, like, favorites as, like, heels in a great way. It's almost like they gave their babyface playbook to Private Party with, like, Isaiah Cassidy, you know, selling his back much like Matt Jackson typically would. Uh, they played tremendous underdogs, and they absolutely got even more over than they were before. Yeah, this was this was like New Japan Young Bucks, you know, where they they did tons of matches like this, which mm-hmm. was always funny when people would ever try to pigeonhole these guys that clearly had not seen uh, enough of their varied styles. And we got to see a lot of that here. And it was to the benefit of the match that they took, not even like an overt heel role, but that's just kind of like, it was subtle. And it worked for the story of the match that here is the established veteran team that are the heavy favorites in this. And they're kind of acting that way. And it made for a legitimate surprise pop at the end by them winning. And I was so glad that they didn't interrupt this one with a commercial break because uh, we'll get into uh, the others where they mm-hmm. they had the picture in picture, and I and I did find it uh, frustrating for some of the later matches. But as I mentioned, twenty two minutes they started off the show without any commercials. They go to the picture in picture here. This is when the Cardinals and Braves game ended, so everyone watching on TNT could uh, just stick with that and not worry about any interruptions. Our second segment of the night saw Chris Jericho come out, flanked by Santana Ortiz, Jake Hagar. And Sammy Guevara. Hagar? Is that how you say it? Jericho, it's always pronounced Hagar. But Jericho emphasized it's Hagar, as I have to imagine that given that there's a guy named Sammy in this group and a Hagar, he had to go Sammy Hagar. (laughs) So uh, maybe we're going for a different pronunciation here. (laughs) Jericho said last week was the highest rated premiere in TNT history. It was the highest premiere in five years, but it's pro wrestling, so you're allowed to exaggerate. Jericho logic, it, it makes sense. Exactly. And the crowd starts chanting, thank you, Jericho, and he just shuts them down. Awesome. <laughs> he, this promo, uh, let me just go through it, and then you, yes, you can just share yes, all your thoughts, because this there was so much. Some of the lines that, like, there were so many here you may have missed, he just says in reference to his group, we aren't next, we are now. Ooh. Didn't even think about that at the time. And I was really worried that they were about to call their group now. It's like, please don't. <laughs> please don't. Because you're waiting for them to, like, name themselves. And it felt like one of those now. WWE lines where it's like, okay, they're going to say now over and over again. And, that's, and then he's going to reveal it. But that's not the name. Then he did. And this used to always be, like, such a um, – just a quintessential thing for a new group forming is that the leader would just go one by one and put over all the guys. And that's what Jericho did here. He starts with Sammy Guevara, the Spanish god. Look how sexy he is. He's on my list. Then he references big cheers uh, for the list. Yes. Yeah. Big cheers here for the but list. But it wasn't over. It wasn't like he was bringing back that gimmick. It was just like a subtle nod, I think, to, you know, like a, a successful period of his life. Yeah. Well, I I kept after I heard now and then I was like, oh, God, don't call this group the shortlist or something. Yeah, there could have been some bad ideas. Then he says, look at these two psychos, Ortiz and Santana. 
They are nastier than ever. They are <laughs> pit bulls among pit bulls. <laughs> so many great names here, right? There's so uh, many potential, like, God. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just thinking of, like, what you would call these guys. Like, what blank experience you would call call all of them. Then he says, Viva La Raza, in reference to Eddie Guerrero, who it would have been his 52nd birthday on Wednesday, which I'm sure many of the audience is probably aware of. And this huge Eddie chant begins. Yep. And and then they just moved on. Uh, Jericho was not going to try and shush that one. Um, then he moves on to Jake Hagar, a former world champion. He is the toughest, most craziest MMA fighter in the world. And the whole place starts chanting, we the people. And Jericho says, we the people sucks. It's dead and buried. It's, it was a stupid idea from bad creative and all that's gone. And the crowd starts chanting, AEW, we're done. We will stop that chant. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Wow. Um, Jericho, if it was not evident, was just so... In his element here, mm-hmm. this felt this, – this promo, we'll discuss it at the end. He goes over all of Hager's credentials. He is undefeated, and that's a shoot, 2-0. Uh, he is the toughest man in the wrestling business. He is not afraid to challenge any wrestler, any MMA fighter, any boxer, any ex-MMA fighter, any street bum, bare-knuckle fighter. This is my inner circle. And – Jericho then focuses his direction on Cody. He doesn't like Cody's family. Dusty was a jerk. He doesn't like Dustin. He's going to kick his ass tonight in the tag. And November 9th, Cody, I'm going to beat the ever-living shit out of you. So the crowd starts chanting shit. And then they're going to walk the streets of Baltimore that night after full gear and have a bit of the bubbly. This was just a awesome, awesome promo and there was a time that this was like commonplace that you would get in wrestling, but we are so starved for just a promo like this mm-hmm. that people lost their minds over this. It was phenomenal. Jer- Jericho just felt like, man, no handcuffs, just out there playing off the crowd. You got all of these guys over. He was fantastic in this segment. This was, I would say, probably the thing most worth watching if you're going to cherry pick anything from this show. This and the, like a lot of the matches were really good, but this to me, I think, would be a segment that you'll probably see replayed if this group ends up being, you know, very successful and having a great run. Chris Jericho is a man who every few years is able to remake himself. And I feel like we've just been introduced to his latest incarnation. We're seeing inner circle Chris Jericho, faction leader Chris Jericho. You know, we, something we haven't seen before. To me, like, this was AEW's first major creative stroke. Their creation of a brand new faction that didn't exist before. This wasn't the elite. This is not the Bullet Club. This is not an exist- existing tag team. This is an original AEW creation. Jericho needed to hit a home run with this promo, and he nailed it with effortless execution. He made it look as easy as breathing here, cutting this, like, all-star promo that hit every note that he needed to hit in an in entertaining, informative, and efficient like manner, he he gave tremendous reactions or introductions to Sammy Guevara and LAX, who I would say, if you're a WWE viewer switching over to AEW, you probably have heard of but haven't fully seen. 
but in one one swoop, like told you exactly what you needed to know to get potentially get you interested. And more importantly, he rechristened Jake Hager and managed to kill any semblance you might still have of him attached to his old WWE mid Carter gimmick. It's like he waved the magic wand and suddenly it's like men in black. We've forgotten who this guy was. We now, you know, it's an attempt. And I think a really good attempt at, you know, uh, making you look at him as an MMA fighter and not the guy with Zeb Coulter. So man did great, built the Cody match too, and got his bubbly line in there. Hit like more than a home run. I, I thought with this one. This was amazing. Like the first 40 minutes of this show, I just loved. I loved these 40 minutes. Like from that tag match to this promo, it was just so great. And this, I guarantee Jake Hager is going to be, mm-hmm. I, I, I was I was more optimistic than most last week just because of who he's paired with. And I had zero doubt after this show that they are going to get this guy over and working off of Jericho is going to get get this guy to, a level that I think people early in his career thought he could get to that he never did. It's a, you know, honestly, like the, the more you think, of, I think about it, the, the, the bigger I feel the risk this really was to bring somebody who was, you know, very much, I think had a WWE mid Carter stink on him and to try to make him the enforcer of, you know, your very important main event level group. Um, certainly it required, a promo like this and the ability to speak in somebody like a Chris Jericho. Uh, I love the idea of making him sort of like your strong silent type who hasn't said a word. And I hope doesn't say a word for months to come. It's totally different from what he used to be. And I think helps sell the idea of him being this monster that much more effectively. I, I like the selection of like all the members in the group. Each person plays a unique role. You have like a junior heavyweight, you have the tag team, you have the mouthpiece world champion, like your Ric Flair type in Jericho, and you have the enforcer in Jake Hager. Now, will this mean that Jake Hager, unlike his last Bellator fight, is not going to include We the People in his post-fight interview? God, I hope not. I didn't even know he did that. No, but he I mean, did this in his last fight. Jeez. Well, he, he but for both, he came out and he had like his hand on his chest. He was doing the whole gimmick in Bellator. Thing is, for a long time... The man had nothing else. Like that was arguably the most popular he ever was in the company. And that catchphrase for a long time was all this performer was known as. Hopefully with this, he can create something else, create something new to be known for. Yeah. So just to uh, put a exclamation point, I love this promo. It was awesome. Yeah. Go seek this out. And so Pro Wrestling Tees got... They directed them over to Pro Wrestling Tees where they're selling this Inner Circle shirt and they crashed the Pro Wrestling Tees site. And we were told that they hit like record numbers tonight by like a wide margin of like the most people that had ever been on the Pro Wrestling Tees site. So I have no doubt that this shirt is going to be an enormous seller for them. And it also shows you just like the captive audience watching this that uh, mention on AEW – for merchandise um, is going to crash pro wrestling T's site for sure. I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a promotion that was very much created as a result of like create, like it was like the elite themselves, the bucks themselves. And I think the ascent of pro wrestling T's really go hand in hand. So it, it very much feels like anytime there's a big new shirt to promote for something that the audience perceives as, you know, being really cool and really serious. Um, 
the immediate place I think a lot of people will go to is something like Pro Wrestling Tees. Jimmy Havoc versus uh, Darby Allen in a number one contenders match followed that. Uh, Havoc had an insert promo. He's been wrestling for 15 years. This is the biggest opportunity of, t- of his life. He has gone through unimaginable amounts of pain and violence. He likes pain and violence, and everyone is going to feel my pain. What did you think of the promo? Didn't do much for me. Me neither. Didn't love this promo. Found it a little too much like campy, tortured soul for me. You know, like Joaquin Phoenix, I, you know, Jimmy Havoc is not as, a, as an actor. Um, oh, are you? Is this uh, fresh off your viewing of Joker? Yes, it is. Oh, I did not see it. Maybe we can talk about it later. Yeah, whenever whenever you you get a chance to see it, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are, are waiting as well. But you, yeah, you, you would you would recommend it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Not with the um, family, but um, like it's oh. not a family film, and I don't think. Yeah. Um, but, Is it rated um, R? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Okay. I'm, I I want to see it. Just trying to find the time to go. Yeah. Uh, they showed highlights of Darby Allen's draw with Cody at Fighter Fest and noting that he beat Shima on AEW Dark last week. Did you get to see any of uh, AEW Dark? Yes, I did. Yeah, okay. I watched Let's that uh, and, and uh, NWA. Maybe we'll perfect. Talk about, okay. about that later. We're, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to we have the news at the end of the show, and I definitely want to talk about power and the yeah. fact that you you saw that in Dark. We'll chat about both. Um, so this match, it was pretty much all. Jimmy Havoc, he drops Allen to the floor with like this vertical suplex where he like turns his body and uh, coming down. Havoc stomps the elbow, bends the fingers. It's a lot of the, the Jimmy Havoc style of offense. He's, they go to a commercial break. Uh, he hit a rolling elbow, then a DVD into the corner. Tiger Driver 98. It was like this match was like begging for a comeback at this point. Like we're talking about this is like nine minutes in. And then Darby bites his hand, fights back. Uh, hit him with like this stunner and then climbed to the top and hit the coffin drop and pinned him in 10 minutes. It was just a brief like 30 second comeback after Jimmy Havoc took pretty much the whole match. So Darby Allen wins to face Chris Jericho next week. I agree. I thought the comeback was a little too brief for me to like really feel like this was a satisfying full match. We also had a a commercial break without picture in picture in between, which to me interrupted the flow. But again, this is TV, you know, like it's sort of a, something you have to expect. Um, I, I felt like Alan, listen, the crowd loves him already. So even if the match wasn't amazing, they were giving him tremendous reactions and treating him like, a, like a real superstar. So clearly uh, to me, like it, it also shows like the, the importance of all of those uh, pay-per-views that they did prior to their launch how important they were to introduce characters like Darby Allen or Private Party to this audience. Because by the time they started TV, all these guys were already treated like superstars. You know, Darby Allen owes a uh, debt of gratitude to Damian Abraham, who got him over on the wrestlers. Uh, I think so. I mean, certainly like some of the most I've, I've, I've known about him personally was from the wrestlers. Yeah, I uh, this match didn't like quite do it for me. Uh, I was glad Allen went over because that's the match I want to see next week. And as soon as he hit the finish, in my mind, I'm just imagining him doing like the highest coffin drop imaginable and gets hit with like uh, a reverse code breaker, like into the backstabber. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, sure. Allen's going to like literally that that is by far the biggest match of his career next week. And God knows what this guy is going to do. And he's in there with a, someone like a Jericho that's going to do everything imaginable to get him over before beating him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I think it'll be a bigger challenge um, than the Cody match because I feel like Jericho is starting to show his limitations, but I think in terms of hype, in terms of character, Jericho has a lot of tricks up his sleeve in order to, to make it very compelling. So, you know, man, so much upside, I think, to Darby Allen. Like, to me, yep. he he's like a modern Jeff Hardy in that, like, he's got a great, unique, graceful, high-flying style. I think smoother than Jeff Hardy already. Um, I definitely see him as being somebody appealing to a younger dem- demographic that they're so, um, you know, craving for. It's a great point that when you think of, like, appealing to a younger fan base, it's like we've got one guy saying he just wants to prove that superheroes are real. God. And here we have Darby Allen. And which presentation do you feel will attract a young teenage audience? <laughs> like, well, that's not the direction te- yeah. people are going. I'm not a teenager, but, I mean, if I was, like, back back, back when I was a teen – um. I love Ricochet. I think in in ring he's so good, but it's it's hard to cheer for somebody who who just comes across really. Well, he has all the tools, but he's being presented like this. Like yeah. I I can only imagine when I was thirteen years old outside in the schoolyard with like my group of friends saying, "Guys, guys, gather around!" Like, have any of us ever thought like, "What if superheroes were real?" I <laughs> I get the shit beaten out of me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, this was the end of the first hour. I always talk about, you know, that third hour dragging on Raw. I cannot tell you how fast this first hour went by. Mm-hmm. The, it was just seamless. Yep. And um, the second hour kicked off with our women's tag, Riho and Britt Baker versus B Priestley and Emi Sakura with Excalibur giving you lots of background on Sakura. Here is the woman that trained Riho when she was nine years old has been wrestling since 1994 and was kind of put on the spot because he called her a legend. And Jim Ross said, why is she a legend? And Excalibur went through her resume and kind of got Jim Ross's seal of approval, I guess. Good, good play from Jim. You know, I think he, he's very much here to coach somebody like Excalibur as well. And it, it was absolutely necessary to talk about, to not just tell us, you know, this person's reputation, but why she has the reputation that that she has. I'll say, you know, for everything that I think they were saying about Emi Sakura, it was certainly weird seeing a green-haired, like, goth woman coming out with a Japanese Freddie Mercury cosplayer. That part, I think, still requires a, a little bit of a explanation, but um, we, we uh, eh, I mean, maybe we just accept it. Uh, Sakura tossed uh, Rio by the hair, and then Priestley was choking uh, Rio behind the corner. Priestley then tagged in, but instead of going after Rio, goes right after Britt Baker, which is the the program that they are continuing to push heavily. That they have their personal issue. Rio then hit this high cross to both women on the floor. Then we go to the picture in picture, and I'm watching this. They're double teaming Baker. Then Priestley hits this beautiful looking bridge. Save gets made. This action looked awesome during the commercial break, yeah. and you could and you couldn't hear any of it. And I was, I was torn. I was like, we. If I was there live, I'd be loving this, but I just found this frustrating. And I didn't so much take that away last week, but this week certainly, like this looked like to be a really good match. And to me, the picture in picture, it was almost just like you're you're just waving something in front of me that you can't really deliver. Did we have picture in picture last week in, in Canada? Oh, what am I thinking of? Maybe I was thinking NXT, about NXT. You had it. NXT. I had it. That's right. I'm well, confusing we, the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I agree with you. You know, in some ways, I would almost prefer if I didn't know what was going on in place of these commercials. Because I spent the the majority of this match watching great in-ring action and hearing Little Wayne tell me about Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon. Yeah, and scaring me to vote or else. So October I mean, twenty first. You know, so I will say, like, at least it's it's an effective way of making me stick around with commercials. Did you hear any of the uh, the leadership debate the other night? A little bit, yeah. Did you hear uh, Andrew Shear's promo on Justin Trudeau at the beginning that got all the the oh, play coming out of it? I I feel like he was, um, you know, he had a few lines for for Trudeau throughout the whole thing, but not the one at the beginning. So, oh, he anything could, good? It's it was like such a promo. He's asked a question and he gives an answer that has nothing to do with the question. He was like, just first, it was his first answer as well. So he just digs in on Justin Trudeau, says. This guy here, he can't even remember how many times he's put blackface on, which is appropriate oh, because he because he's a phony. He wears a mask about this policy. He wears a disguise on this policy, and he's just. Oh, and man. then they go to uh, Elizabeth May afterwards, and it was like, "Can you answer this question?" And she says, "I will answer that question." Unlike whatever we just heard right there, and the crowd goes, it just gives it a big reaction. I'm like, this is so silly. Like it's it's literally wrestling for almost oh, yeah. like that's what these are it's and it's pr- you know it's the town hall format it kind of lends itself to that but Andrew Shear knew exactly what he was there uh, you know to attack I mean it's such a it's such a game but like like you said like delivering a promo like that gets the word spread beyond the people that are just watching the show oh, it's it's in front of a lot of undecided voters and it's going to be the one that lands a zing is you know sadly that's going to be a deciding factor for people and it's you know how do they come off and how do others react when um their decisions are thrown into their face and how they stand up for themselves and it gets into like that gray area of does this person feel like a leader and that's what a lot of these televised debates convey to people can i imagine this person leading my country yeah how charismatic are they can you yes exactly visualize this person represent like it's it's that's where donald trump kills like he will when it gets to the debates like that is his arena where he shines it's really silly. But, you know, I, I'll say, like, I think what makes maybe Canadian uh, uh, debates more interesting is the fact that you have multi-parties. So rather than just it being a one-on-one battle, you have two people speaking and then a third person can come in saying both of you are idiots, you know, and then like the, you ju- and they're going after this person. The other person's going after them. So it, it's more. And, and you got to be bilingual. You got to be able yes. to be able to uh, dish it out in English and French. Mm hmm. We come back from break. That's our uh, next podcast, John. Yes, maybe we'll do. When when's the twenty first? We'll do. Uh, oh, we're going to be. Oh, we got maybe maybe you watch Raw that night. I'll watch all the election coverage sure. and we'll compare notes. Sure. Who had the better pro? I, I'd go with the politicians <laughs> on if we're going against Raw. Uh, Sakura hit a Vader bomb into a senton, which is how it was called. And Tony Schiavone is so happy that that is called a Vader bomb. He's like, they're calling yeah, that a like- Vader bomb. That's awesome. It's like he's a man who's been like so like out of the loop with pro wrestling for years. That he so was cryogenically frozen and he's been awoken yep. after 2001 to 2019. He's back and just reacclimating to the wrestling world that he left yeah. behind. Names of wrestling moves are now being named after people he knew personally. Maybe moves he you know innovated himself. And it's like yeah, he 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 found it really really cool, which I I thought was a little endearing. Wait till he's got to call a Tangaloa match and someone points out, that's ape shit. <laughs> that's really cool. 
That's awesome. Uh, and I, I should add that. Shit. Wow. <laughs> can we say that? Apparently we can on TNT. That's called orienteering with napalm death? That's really cool. <laughs> See, Shivani, for whatever reason, and I think the, the, his podcast probably is the reason why, but he can get away with that kind of a line. Whereas I, I can promise you, if Jim Ross was to critique the name of something, I think everyone would jump on him. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it helps that Shivani called Vader matches, though. So it's almost like you, you feel like he's he's saying, you know, oh, wow, people are paying tribute to this guy. That's great. Uh, Baker hit a swinging neck breaker onto Sakura for a two count and then applied the rings of Saturn with the added touch of putting her hand into her mouth and I guess pulling on her teeth for the submission at 839. Uh, yeah, she did this on on, on uh, Dark uh, and... You know, I feel like they're hitting the... Isn't, the, isn't this fish hooking? Well, I mean, is the mandible claw fish hooking? Uh, yeah, I guess so. So, and, and like, I thought Ross was pretty good in trying to justify why this claw was there by bringing up the precedent that's been set with the mandible claw. He even starts calling this like, oh, it's a submission move with a mandible claw, like a doctor doing an actual mandible claw, as if she is tugging on the mandibles. So... I feel like they're kind of hitting like on the doctor thing a little too hard, especially in their Titan Tron. Like, I don't know if you saw Britt Brit Baker's Titan Tron, but it's just like, <laughs> oh, is it like molars with like a toothbrush? Oh, it's a skull, like showing teeth, of course. And her logo is like a tooth with like a Ugh. doctor's like, you know, the, the, the whatever spiral logo in, and it's in her name. It's a little too much. I think they should just call her Britt Baker, but I do like the finish. I think it's cool. Uh, Baker and Priestley got separated with Aubrey Edwards getting in the way. So maybe maybe they're going to hold this off till full gear, I would think, between Baker and Priestley. Sure. Yeah. You. I don't know if it's really hot enough yet, to be honest with you. But um, we have a month. Yeah. Yeah, sure. In that time, they can. I, I'll say, you know, something I feel like was was lacking on the show, other than Jericho, of course, was the promos. I mean, especially for a few like uh, Priestley and Baker. I haven't really heard that much of them personally. I haven't heard B. Priestley speak once yet, so hopefully that's something we get in the weeks to come. Yeah, and then later, it was almost like just throwing out, and I don't even know how many people even noticed it, but it was just like casually mentioned, Rio is going to defend the women's title against Britt Baker next week as a result of this win. So there there you go, if you didn't even hear it. It wasn't a a big deal was not made of this, Hmm. and I think, uh, you know, if this... Solidify like that's a story right there. Britt Baker and her win, and now the two partners will face each other next week. And this had significance for Britt Baker that it helped her record. I I did like. I think they're doing a good balancing act with the records right now. Like it comes out, and there's a, no title match is going to happen just out of nowhere. There's going to be a reason for it, right? And they're tying it in like like with Pac. That was his whole. Motivation tonight was looking at his record and why am I not getting these shots? So I don't think they're hitting you over the head that it's just become – it dominates the programming. But it's it's a natural story and gives purpose to every outcome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's very easily managed, manageable right now when the records are low. I'm curious to know how they will handle it like a year down the line. And 113 is, and 50 he improves to. And is there a place to check on these records? There should be. They yeah. should have. Should I, I don't know if it's on their website, but they should have a very easily trackable uh, area. Maybe they can outsource to Cage Match or something. Brilliant. Get a uh, contact Striga. 
he can run it for you. Um, we have a best friends promo, the, just the shot of them in the park uh, with the drone shot. And then we cut to Jen Durden, who is – is it Jen Durden, I think? Jen Decker? Jen Decker. Yeah. I don't know why I'm thinking Jen Durden. Um, Jen Decker is Wait, ringside. Is it, is it Jen Decker? I don't know. I thought it was Durden. <laughs> I just – I wrote it down and I didn't even question it until now. Yes, and it is. Yes, it I is. I think it's Decker. Yeah, Jen Decker. Yep. Yep. Jen Durden is a benthic echo – Ecologist. Maybe a Britt Baker rival. She studies national oceanography. Not at AEW on Wednesday night. So Jen is with the best friends. They're going to face SCU next week in the tag tournament. And they're asked what they think about this. And they say, why don't you ask him? And there is Orange Cassidy seated front row and gives his thumbs up. For a big pop. The crowd went nuts for Cassidy. Huge reaction to Orange Cassidy. I mean, really, they didn't tell us anything, the best friends. It was just like, hey, look at this guy who's really over, who comes out with us. That was their answer to the question. So not much of an inter- interview here from the best friends, but I mean, um, TV showcase, I guess you could call this for Orange Cassidy, who remains one of the hottest acts, like inexplicably. One of the hottest acts acts of AEW without having to say a word at all. The lights go out. Sean Spears is seated at the entrance and really walks cool out. entrance, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I like, like it. it. He's and he ditched the the contact lenses, which oh, I, I thought yeah. was good. I didn't like that. Me neither. Just looked too silly for him. I really like the the just sitting in a chair. I mean, everybody comes out walking, and with him, it's just like you know, spotlight. Seated in a chair because he's the chairman. And Tully was out here back with him. And just as they're going to break, he puts the 10 sign up on the turnbuckle. Hey, were you surprised this match didn't go up like on the, at the top of the hour? Mox? Um, no, I think that what they were doing was building the show, I think, to put like, you know, your second from the top match, I think, is what they're doing. I, I really believe watching this, like they are not programming this with the idea of what's going on on the other show and not so much that but like people could just be to cha- catch people channel yeah. surfing at nine o'clock and john moxley is arguably one of their biggest stars more so than you know the women's division yeah you you, you could argue certainly like that and it there wasn't i don't think they even did like a crossover at the top of the hour like that havoc right. allen match was over before nine and then Riho uh the tag match started after so it's not even like they were doing the uh the crossover so it didn't even seem like that was a strategy on their part. Hmm. Uh, Moxley coming out, he got an enormous reaction. I would say uh, even louder than Jericho's. He was super over here. It was the first time we've seen him, well, I guess in a match since uh, Yeah, we got Joey the run-in. Really, like since his injury, right? Well, he had the run-in last week. Right, yeah, for, yeah. But, but I mean, first like, match since G1. Yes, yes. Wearing trunks, not the pants like we saw in the Janela match. That's right, yes. Uh, Pack is out on commentary, and at first he's doing the deal where he won't respond to the commentator's questions. And Moxley's got a bandage on his right elbow, and he just gets right up into Spears' face. Pack says he will not be denied by AEW management after Darby Allen and Jimmy Havoc got an opportunity at a title match before he did. And I think justified in his uh, arguments here after mm-hmm. who he's beaten. Absolutely. Moxley attacks him on the floor, and then Blanchard grabs him from behind. Moxley goes for Tully, and Spears stops him, and Jim Ross is calling out why referee Paul Turner is allowing this. 
and didn't really get a good answer other than, I guess, uh, leeway. I guess he's an old man. I mean, last week, Moxley put a man through a, a glass table. So, I guess they have a lot of leeway in AEW. <laughs> Moxley then gets thrown into the steps by Tully behind Paul Turner's back. Spears takes over. He hit this running DVD into the guardrail, uh, which looked fun. Pack asks, do you know what my win-loss record is? And I'm relegated to commentary with you goons. They took a break after the DVD spot. Spears is still in control. Comes back. Moxley hits a suicide dive and then a shining wizard for a two-count. Spears gets him up on the shoulders. Moxley spins off Death Rider and pins him in 11.54. Correction. Paradigm shift, John. Oh, yeah. I am I am not going to be able to adjust to that back and forth when it's one move today and another move on Monday when he face, faces Juice. It's really annoying. I mean, I guess, you know, he is supposed to be a different – he kind of has a different character even though, like, he wrestles the same, he looks the same, he uses the same moves. But um, in AEW, it's the paradigm shift. In, in New Japan, it's the Death Rider. Really good match. You know, Moxley has such an intensity with him since he's been uh, reborn outside of uh, WWE. And he brought it out of Sean Spears here, who I don't think always has that same fire. But I thought the match came across really good for both men. Um, I think Spears has been good, but I think, you know, he's unfortunately put into a position position where he's had to lose multiple matches. All of his matches, really, thus far in his run. So... You know, it's it's almost like you're begging for a bit of a storyline coming out of this early losing streak. Like, I know they had Tully say, like, he failed Sean. Like, when did he even say that? Because it wasn't on any, like, special. It was, like, was it an interview or something online? I think so. I, I can't remember where it was where it was said. But, like, you know, these losses, unfortunately, are kind of making him and Tully, you know, after some great promos that we saw ahead of the Cody match, it's kind of making them look like a bit of a bust as a team. So I hope we get some story out of it, and I think Sean Spears probably needs a few wins coming up soon. But now is not his time. No, and that's that's it. It's like you can't you can't push everybody, and he's not in that top heel group either. So it's you know you have to. You're, there's guys that are into prominent positions, and you got to get them ready, and others who are in those spots to get those guys ready, and that's kind of where Spears is now. But I feel with some promos, especially from Tully, I mm-hmm. think that you can segue this guy off somewhere else um and maybe maybe something with dustin you know you go from cody and because dustin feels like to me he's just the utility guy that is there to you know essentially get these other heels over yes yes as moxley is getting set to leave kenny omega arrives and he's carrying a barbed wire bat and a barbed wire broom and he tosses the bat down the ramp to moxley and they tease that they're going to carve each other up with barbed wire when Omega gets struck by Pac with a chair to the back of the head and gets laid out on the ramp. Pac takes off. Moxley stands over Omega, but he just tosses the bat away. He decides, you know what? If I am going to beat this man into a pulp, this man I put through a glass table last week, I'm going to do it with honor. Yeah, like attacking him in, in the middle of a match. And sending him through a glass table. Attacking from behind. (laughs) It's all right. I thought the post-match was really good. I thought it did a lot for all three individuals involved in a very short amount of time. With Kenny, I mean, he came out here looking like a badass. Teasing that he's not afraid of Moxley's deathmatch style. He was the first to engage here. He brought that barbed wire broom out and 
it works as such a great symbol for like I think Kenny tapping into like a dark side of him. Um, Moxley, I thought looked great with the win, but I think you increase his heroic aspect by showing his his nobility for refusing to attack Kenny when he was already down. So clearly, this is a match between like two baby faces. And with Pac, or sorry, Pac, they made him part of the main event conversation. You know, um, he expressed his like frustrations on the on the commentary and immediately did something about it by going after. Uh, one of two of the top stars, or at least one of the top stars in the company, attacking Omega. So now you can easily break into a rematch with Kenny or a match with Moxley. Uh, this is where they announce the women's title match for next week, and then we go into the main event: Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara against Hangman Page and Dustin Rhodes, with Jake Hager coming out and just standing in the corner as the muscle. And I like that. And he's also like expressionless as well. Mm. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, he's like, I mean, he's like uh, Ivan Drago, you know, and just like strong, silent type that that you only focus on the physical with him, which is, I think, a, a great thing. Dustin wanted to start off with Jericho. They fought to the floor and he's annihilating Jericho with these body shots like Steve Miocic just did to Cormier. He gets sent over the barricade. Then they double team Guevara. Excalibur compares Dustin and uh, Hangman to Dustin and Barry Windham. Mm-hmm. Jericho then makes the assist to allow Guevara to get in control of Page. This is where they go through the commercial break, and then they come back and they announce the final 13 minutes. They are all through with their commercial breaks. Jericho's just taunting Page. He's counting along with Bryce Remsburg as he's counting to five with Page on the ropes, and then goes for a lion salt, lands onto Page's knees, and Page is finally able to make the tag after a long sequence uh, of having the advantage with the heels. There's uh, Rhodes fires up. He hits a reverse double cross onto both. Page then landed the moonsault off the top onto Guevara, but then he gets nailed by Hager with a running clothesline. Inside the ring, Dustin hits Jericho with the code red, sets up Jericho in the corner for shattered dreams when Hager gets into the ring and Bryce Bryce Remsburg must have been having uh, PTSD here because uh, I guess the invisible man came back in the form of uh, Jake Hager. And he did not have his glasses on to be able to see him as <laughs> Dustin gets plowed by Hager and he is left in the ring staggering and Jericho hits the Judas effect to Dustin and pins him 13 minutes, 28 seconds. Strong win for, for Jericho, adding more heat to the Cody program with a win over Cody's brother. I thought it was a good match, but I thought it was Paige and Rhodes that really stole the show here. Surprisingly, these two have like really good chemistry and I thought it helped with the commentary, you know, reminding us that underneath all that face paint and that bodysuit is a cowboy in Dustin Rhodes. So in ring, they they worked really well together. I thought Jericho, you know, continues to show his age, especially when being paired with guys that are as fast as Sammy Guevara and and Hangman Page and even Dustin Rhodes, like, looked faster to me than Jericho. But I think being kept in these tag matches with the stable around him now will greatly protect him. Yeah, I, I, you know, the ending, it was solid. I, I, I just like watching Jericho continue to get this finish over. Um, you know, he had a really good presence in this match as kind of like the leader of this group and working with Guevara. And yeah, I, I like the team as well of uh, Dustin and Paige. Like it worked here. Maybe it's something they'll experiment with a bit more. But also looking to be um, teasing Hangman paired with Jake Hager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, the post-match saw Page get clotheslined on the floor by Hager, and then Page attacked him with a chair, and they fought to the back. 
Jericho and Guevara are double teaming Dustin and they just let the audience think about who they wanted. They all chant for Cody and then the lights go out. Cody's in the ring and Cody's wearing this beige and white suit. And I'm just thinking, man, they're going to bloody this guy all up to end this. That's what I was thinking here, just based on what he was wearing. I guess at some uh, point they, they could. Yeah. He, he was certainly the, the best dressed person I've ever seen get a Sabu entrance. Yeah. Could you imagine Terry Brunk showing up in like a tux? Not at all. No. Cody hits the crossroads to Guevara and he's left in the ring with Jericho. But then Santana and Ortiz run in, jumping Cody. And I don't know if this was just an ode to the, the Nexus attack, but Jericho gets Cody's tie and starts choking him with the tie. I wonder. I mean, I mean, it's there. So it's just so synonymous now with that. Uh, it yeah. would have been funny if Justin Roberts was just choked <laughs> on the floor by Jericho. Yes. Yes. Um, so then MJF runs down with a chair and he runs into the ring and he looks. Cody is being beaten on and he looks at Jericho and Santana and Ortiz and he pauses and everyone thinks now he's going to do it. He's going to lay out Cody and he pauses and then he goes after the inner circle and everyone pops. They were like thinking, I love this tease. This was so good. It was so it good. It was the best. I hope they do it. You know, you can't do it forever. You've got to pay it off at some point. But man, they, it's too early to do now. And I love this tease. I think it's great. Very much like the, the Jericho Kevin Owens story where you know a turn is coming any second. And every time they attempt it, you think it's about to happen. But then it doesn't. The you goal know, like, is the goal is to do it at a point when you feel like you you bought in that MJF really does have this guy's back. Like once the crowd, if you can at least get half of them to believe that MJF has convinced them he's not going to turn, and then you can do it. Like that's the struggle. If they can if they can pull it off, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, great jobs. Like this was the second time we saw a, a tease like this, and they've done excellent jobs each time milking that tension. I hope they. They go for like a whole year, but uh, we'll see if they can they can go for it. But this was really well done. You know what they should do? Way they should have an eight man tag, and Cody is on the apron as MJF runs the ropes. He knocks Cody off into the barricade, and he gets distracted and he gets rolled up. And this is on the December eighteenth episode of Dynamite, and Cody's team wins, but. MJF is the only one to get eliminated. God. And then we skip because there's no AEW on Christmas Day. And then we come back and they have a an interview together and they talk things over over Christmas and they are going to center their focus and put their energy onto the tag team championships and MJF and Cody are going to go for the tag titles together. So that was a very elaborate way of John trying to tell you that we've just reviewed Royal Rumble 1994 on Rewind Away on the Patreon, uh, talking about the the brilliant, in my opinion, Bret Hart-Owen Hart breakup angle that started exactly like that. You knew it was coming at any time, but they, they, they primed it, I guess, for a great spot. Yes. So after that, we, we had a lot here in this post-match. So Jericho then hits a code breaker to MJF because after he laid out everybody... MJF just starts uh, celebrating, and he turns his back on the inner circle, who continue their attack. This prompts the Bucks to run in. They hit dives onto Santana and Ortiz. 
Then Jericho, you think he's leaving with the title when Darby Allen skates down the ramp on a skateboard, leaps onto Jericho. This place went nuts. This looked awesome. I thought it was one of the biggest reactions of the night and obviously, you know, helped by his his uh, win earlier in the show. But, um, yeah, coming out in a skateboard and delivering like a running, what was it, knee? Yeah, like, he like flew off this thing with a knee right into Jericho. And then we've got, we've got Cody and Dust, Dustin, the Bucks, MJF and Darby all in the ring. I just like, like they're establishing, these are your baby faces. Mm-hmm. These are our heels. Mm-hmm. These are the two warring factions. Jericho gets on the mic, calls them stupid, stupid idiots. They are the inner circle and are taking control. I'll see you, Darby, in Philadelphia. It's your funeral, bitch. You know, last the word, the, the eternal word in this uh, in this wrestling landscape, bitch. You can always get something over if you said bitch at the end of it. Well, now you could say shit as well. Yeah, they've upped the ante, so that's yeah. great. Maybe Hunter's going to come out next week and said, and say, who's ready to get fucked? <laughs> oh, wonderful! I hope somebody out there is saving all these clips for a John just, Pollock soundboard, <laughs> just to play out of context. <laughs> You know, last week, I thought AEW had a good debut. It was a good show. I wouldn't say it was a great show. I thought this was a great wrestling TV program that captivated my attention for two hours. Good to great wrestling displayed throughout the entire show. But I thought most impressive was their world building and their character building in such a short amount of time. In only their second week... You know, they've clearly set up the battle lines between the baby faces and the heels. We know who they are. We have an identity for every single person, pretty much, within the inner circle. We have an identity for everybody in the baby face side of things. So, such a great job establishing all these new concepts, you know. Uh, uh, like, with the faction, with Darby Allen, with even, like, uh, the story going on with Mox and Omega and, and, and now Pac. And on top of that, setting you up for both full gear and also getting you excited for the title match next week. So I, I thought a home run all around. Yeah. And I think next week, like they, they hammered it home hard that you're getting a title match next week with Jericho wrestling and us with Darby Allen that, you know, think about the amount of people like this potentially, you know, million plus people watching this, many of whom have probably never heard of Darby Allen before this. Mm-hmm. And, what they did tonight. Like, think of that fan that doesn't know who Darby Allen was. What did they do within the two hours to get this guy ready for a, a big title match next week? I, I thought they did a great job with that. Um, the inner circle stuff was great. Um, they got a lot of people over tonight. I, I was very happy with the show. Yeah. If I have one criticism, I think it's that I, I wish the show had more promos. You know, to me, if there's any lesson to be taken from NWA Power this week, it's that wrestling needs more quality promos from people who can cut them you know, in a in a way that sounds um, authentic. And I feel like this roster has many of those talents, as we've already seen in things like Road 2. But in these first two episodes of, of uh, uh, Dynamite, they've really focused on the in-ring and have really kind of like, you know, saved the, the, the promos for, I guess, their online stuff. But I think it should be integrated more to really break up the in-ring product as well. Dustin Rhodes needs to be their Tim Storm. For sure. Sign me up. All right, let's head over and get your feedback. Forum.postwrestling.com is where you can leave feedback Wednesday nights for both NXT and Dynamite. Tonight's poll way, I think this one's going to be high. I'm going to say 8. I'm going to say 8.2. An 8 on All the right. dot. 
So there you go. A very positive response from our forum, which has a high bar. Paul from New Jersey writes, after the creative nightmare that has been WWE, I was definitely checking the show out and it didn't disappoint. Not a fan of the Young Bucks, but their match with Private Party was excellent. Doesn't really seem like any of the top guys in this promotion have any problem with putting people over. There's no way else to put it. Chris Jericho is wrestling Jesus. He explained who his team was, why they're together, put all of them over strong. Spanish God Sammy Guevara had me howling. I wonder if Peyton Royce and Renee, Renee Young got together to watch Mox and Spears. I'm a big fan of the Perfect Ten. Do you think that he has the potential to hang around in the main event, or do you think he's more of a middle-of-the-show act, referring to Sean Spears? I think in terms of like the packaging and the, and the character he's been able to rebrand himself as thus far in AEW, it's been excellent, especially with the Tully act. I think he certainly has the potential. To me, in-ring, I, I think he's passable. I, I don't know if he's you know capable of having like that Kenny Omega level type of match right now. I, I, but he could prove me wrong. And to me, the the promos are essential. Like that's like if you can have that, I think it will it will increase people's interest in the character, and that will will translate as well. So I think Tully's a big part of that act. I think Tully um, needs to be utilized for his strength, which is talking now. Like he was great in those Road Two episodes. So I, I hope to see him. Um, Focus more in that role because if not, I mean, if he's not talking, there's no point to him. We got a Jalen from Pickering who says, "Strong show overall. I found it pretty silly to do the lights out for Cody, but the crowd went nuts, so I guess it's fine." Him, Moxley, and Jericho own the screen when you're out there and feel like they're a level above the rest. I really dug the match graphics and logical intersecting of certain storylines. Brandon from Oshawa, what a great episode, even better than last week. A couple minor issues like the awkward switch from the Best Friends interview to Sean Spears' entrance. Cody didn't need the lights out treatment. Otherwise, this is what I enjoy about wrestling. Jericho cut one of his best promos in a long time. I love the inner circle and the reasoning behind all of the guys in it. There's a couple things I'm going to need from them eventually after the first couple of months. I don't want to know every match beforehand. I'd like some to build naturally throughout the show, and I need them to establish some DQ countout rules because I see people getting away with a lot and not enough counting on the outside. That's true. You know, uh, two of the glaring, I think, uh, things, especially one of the more glaring things from last week was the Moxley interference that wasn't really mentioned at all. And even this week with uh, Tully, I I suppose, getting his hands on on Moxley. I, I... I disagree on the first part. Like I, you can do matches like set up uh, on the spot, but I, I like the idea that you can promote matches over the course of the week and you go in knowing what you're getting. And I like the start to tonight where they went through all five matches that you were going to get tonight. I mean, if you want to make this um, have a serious presentation to it, um, it does make more sense that this is a two hour show that is booked with, like what? What is filling this show out? And I, I don't get excited when we're tuning into Raw and have no idea what's going to be even on the show tonight. Yes, yes. I mean, it's it's a clear directional shift from I think the way WWE Raw or SmackDown promotes their main events. You know, often twenty minute segment talking off the top to lead to what you would see later on in the evening. They are announcing their matches in AEW several days ahead, maybe even a week or two ahead. Um, we should also mention, like, we saw really the first week of, like, how BTE was integrated into a uh, Dynamite uh, on BTE very quickly was just, like, you know, a really nice behind-the-scenes kind of recap of, like, 
what it was like for the Bucks and Cody and Omega to be producing the show and participating in at the same time. As far as like, you know, in character, in universe things, you had a brief setup between uh, Hangman, like the Bucks being really upset at Hangman for not helping them in the in the brawl last week. And Hangman saying that he would make it up to, to Dustin by teaming up with him to uh, go up against the, the new enemy. So they really only did that little bit. I don't know if there was that much more else that related to the story, but it was a glimpse at, at, as to how BTE will, will integrate. We go to the wolf who says really fun show. Jericho promo was fantastic. I thought can't believe how much he really brings to the show. I was worried about him being able to reinvent and do it again in his career, but there is, there he is dropping a fantastic promo and making everyone look amazing. Great fun matches, and I really enjoyed how the other tag teams were in the crowd watching. It showed a bit of investment and a bit more excitement to the tag teams. The only criticism I have is JR made some mistakes and occasionally feels a bit awkward still, but he does bring some chemistry, so I can't say it's distracting from the overall product. And Lights Out for Cody was a bit too over the top. And MJF, man, I hope they drag it out as long as they can for his eventual turn on Cody. Go to Hagaki. Great show tonight. Better than week one. Kept a fairly fast pace with the only slow parts being the middle of the women's match and the inner circle promo. I don't know about that. I did like it to help establish the group. Hopefully they start feeling more cohesive. Favorite dynamite thing. We don't hear every single wrestler's theme for run-ins and saves. Worst thing. A few missed shots and angle issues. But that's being nitpicky. We got a one from Vaughn who says, What a great show. I thought it topped last week. Absolutely amazing tag match and a star-making performance for Private Party. Great ending with Darby standing tall. He's another they've done a great job with so far. I also loved how MJF came out at the end there to save Cody. I can't wait for Pittsburgh in two weeks, driving down from Toronto. 9 out of 10 show. Okay, I'm going to go down here to Evil. I haven't been this excited after an episode of wrestling in a long time. The Young Bucks putting over Private Party was great. They felt like rising stars, and I was at ease knowing that those in charge will remember to continue pushing them. I haven't been the biggest fan of Jericho this year because his matches have been pretty meh. Jericho was amazing on the mic. I'm so excited to see them get killed. The ending angle was really good. I thought they were going to ruin it each time someone else came out of the back, but everything made me more excited for next week, a 9 out of 10. We got a Joey from Geelong, Australia. I want to say first, while I listen to you guys all the time, I haven't watched the weekly TV show in full for a very long time until the last two weeks watching AEW and last week's SmackDown. Fair to say I don't think I'll watch WWE programming for a while longer, but I'm hooked by AEW's simple storytelling and great in-ring action. Less is always more in my opinion, and two hours versus seven hours a week from the WWE I know is what is easier to keep on top of. All right, next is uh, Jake from the Windy City. What a fun show tonight. How great was that ending angle? So many moving parts came together to tell a cohesive story and build for the next week and future. Tremendous finish. Last week was really important and all, but this week was flat out better. Those two hours absolutely flew by. We go to, uh, next we go to Precaution, Michigan. I watched NXT and Dynamite concurrently tonight, though I did like NXT's entering action more than Dynamite. AEW did not have a single boring moment. I was gripped by each segment. I was a little underwhelmed with the women's match, but that was only compared to the other segments. I was shocked to see the Bucks lose, but was very happy for Private Party. Not in favor of ending with a chaotic gang fight every episode, although tonight it was exciting. I, I would agree with Prakash if they did it for one more week. You know, they've shown that it's it's a device that they are good at using, successful at using, but certainly can run the risk of being overused. And I would say if next week or even the week after they do this, like, 
big you know stacking running sequence again yeah maybe it would be uh, end up looking like a bit of a crutch yeah all fair points i think um mj is our next one he says uh jericho's need to say shoot made me cringe everything up till that was gold including killing the we the people chant I thought they could have done way better explaining why Darby and Havoc were having a number one contenders match. Cody getting a shot, but Darby and Cody ended in a draw, so he lobbied for the match. And Havoc won it all out against Darby, so he was the opponent. That said, zero problem with Cody and Jericho needing to beat guys to get to their main event. I expect if they use this formula, they will eventually pull the trigger on changing a main event. JR doesn't sell the product, and it's unfortunate. He's fine to listen to, but he's not exciting as a hype guy, and he's in the role where he has to do that. But ending each show with chaos and tons of stars on the screen does sell the product, as it's an exciting old-school way to go off the air, the crowd's hyped, and it comes across as cool. I notice a lot of guys haven't wrestled on TV proper or been used. Joey Janela is one that stands out to me. Uh, We should mention, and I don't know what... uh, finish was but they were one of the dark matches this week was a lights out match with Kenny Omega against Joey Janela that they were taping after so like that's a big match for them to be putting on their on their digital show and what's a lights out like what does that entail they I think they explained that it's it doesn't count against their record that it's but it's like an anything goes type of match so it's a hardcore match with Joey Janela and, and Kenny I think so yeah I'm surprised they would put that on on their YouTube and not um, on TV because that to me is is a great hook. Like I wouldn't be doing that. Kenny's yeah. first singles match, like in the TV era, so surprising. Hmm. Yeah, the other match, um, they were doing an eight man tag, which I don't have the participants here. And before the show, oh, they did uh, the other dark matches. There was an eight man tag. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you hear me? Okay, now I can. Oh. Briefly disconnected there. Uh, so the other dark matches uh, were they were doing an eight man tag and a singles match be- that was taped before the show uh, with Kip Sabian versus Sonny Kiss versus Peter Avalon. Gotcha. Cool. All right. We go to uh, I'm going to skip a few, everybody. Please don't take any offense. We just don't have uh, that much time because we've been getting a lot of feedback on these shows lately. We got a Nick from North Carolina. After being really let down by Hell in a Cell on Sunday, I decided to travel back home to Boston to attend the show live. And may it may have been the best decision I've made in months. None of my live WWE experiences even come close to the show tonight. It felt really refreshing to go to a live TV taping and not have to spend a portion of almost every match watching a headlock while commercials played. I'm not sure how it came across on TV, but the crowd was buzzing the entire show. It's 10.30, and a good 95% of the crowd has stuck around to see both post-show dark matches. Omega versus Janela in a non-sanctioned match is the second dark match, and so far, it's absolutely fantastic. All right, let's, let's do one last one here with our man from Northern Ireland, Neil. Darby Allen emerged as a real star in the making after tonight. What an excellent job they've done with him. In WWE, he'd be skinny D. <laughs> if I absolutely had to nitpick, I'll be, a bit, I'll be a bit contrarian and say that Jericho's promo swung just a little too much from big cheer lines to the diabolical just, Dusty was a jerk line. But the way he killed the We the People chant stone dead, hopefully forever, was masterful. On, uh, and he watched on, on fight or AEW Plus on fight. Once again, they took no breaks and the matches went on at full pace without rest holds and with commentary. I consider that well worth the modest price. You know, honestly, Which, 
Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense when I wasn't even taking into consideration AEW Plus where this airs live. And it's great promotion, actually. You know, seeing these picture in picture commercials, it's great promotion for AEW Plus because if you want to watch these matches uninterrupted and if you're getting as frustrated as John and I are, you might actually be considering paying whatever they're asking. That's actually a great point. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, yeah, very well received show. And, uh, on the Hangout on Thursday, we will go through NXT and be taking calls. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, more people's feedback to both shows and everything. Tomorrow on the Hangout, that's 3 p.m. Eastern for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, any final thoughts on the show before we go on to some news items? I think we got to most of it. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing everybody else's thoughts in, in uh, on the phone tomorrow. All right. Well, let's uh, let's just uh, zip through a few things here. Friday, WWE is holding a press conference at 3 p.m. Eastern time, which is going to stream on the WWE Network and all of their uh, social platforms from Vegas, which is the site of SmackDown. And they're going to have Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman there. Cain Velasquez will be there. Tyson Fury will be there. Paul Levesque will be there. So I think everyone can jump to the conclusion that we are getting the crown jewel announcements at the press conference on Friday. And since both are in the city, you would think that you'd try and get both of them onto SmackDown that night. You would think. Yeah, I would think so too. Unless you feel the press conference is enough and they don't have to shoot anything additionally on the show, but it it would seem like they're there. Maybe you can do something. Do you think that it's interesting that they are going the uh, press conference route for this particular match or the, Um, the show? I'm sure they're hoping – like they're also doing some deal with uh, the 2K release in Vegas this week. So I think they know media is going to be there and it's probably a chance to get a lot of media attention doing an actual formal press conference in Vegas with, with both there. So yeah. I I, th- I think you know doing it in advance, you'll probably get some media coming up from LA that, that's probably – rather than just announcing it on TV for without any kind of fanfare beyond that. So – yeah, I think it's fine. Really, like, though, you know, I think the, the benefit of having two outside stars, one from MMA, one from boxing, is to try to grab some of their audience. And, you know, in both cases, press conferences in Vegas are very much the norm. So yep. maybe you'll get a lot of boxing media and you'll pro- maybe get a lot of MMA media attending as well. But do you think that you will – do you think they'll open it up to questions, first of all? I mean, they have to, right? Like, if it's media showing up. And how I, much attention is Saudi Arabia going to get? I'm going to guess minimal, if any. You think so? Yeah. Which is interesting because this week, uh, the NBA is in quite the crisis this week about mm-hmm. what's going on in China and one of their owners tweeting in support of the protesters in Hong Kong. And this has blown up to be a major story uh, with with the NBA and that yeah. and their like how – how involved in you know human rights issues are you going to be as a as a sports league and i mean this is the wwe's version of that with with saudi arabia yeah i mean in, in wwe's case i mean the big storm i thought was was last year but i mean i i i'm honestly a little surprised that for a crown jewel show they are opening up i think this much media attention when you compare it to last year where they're trying to pretty much ignore i would say you know any type of press for that particular show and just maybe announcing these matches on their TV and, you know, it'll be on the WWE network in an unknown location. I'm really curious to know if like media is there. And I certainly hope if you're somebody who's, who's a part of the media there that you ask the right questions. I agree. Um, 
so yeah, we'll we'll talk about that on on Friday night show on Rewind to SmackDown as well. Uh, raw viewership from Monday they did two million three hundred thirty four thousand viewers, so they were down nine percent, but. They were going against uh, a higher-viewed Monday Night Football game than they've had the last few weeks. They also went against uh, two uh, Major League Baseball playoff games. So I would think all in all, it was actually only being down 9%. I I don't take that as too bad considering uh, what they were up against on Monday. Um, Unless you felt that Tyson Fury was going to be a bigger deal than he was. But this this was still their... Second highest number since Monday Night Football returned uh, back at the beginning of September. So I would take that as, you know, a good sign. Well, it wasn't great, but it was it was fine. Sure. Yeah. Next week, I mean, I imagine they'll get a bit of a bump from from the draft. I think maybe a week after that, or or even another week after that, maybe we'll start to see a bit more of a what what, what the standard might be. Although they're they're going to be facing stiff competition throughout the month. Oh, they're they're going to have bit you know. Playoffs. Uh, I mean, they're going to have Monday Night Football every week, but um, you know, there's going to be as the as the playoffs get deeper. You know, October is a tough month for them when Major League Baseball and Monday Night Football. Uh, you have that potential double whammy coming at you. Uh, Total Divas is a disaster this season. They were up from last week's debut of 252,000 viewers, but only up to 261,000 viewers. So they had this the distinction of being the second lowest number in the history of the franchise. And, you know, this is one where last week I kind of looked at it as it was a last minute change to Tuesday. Maybe it was just not promoted enough this week. It was, you know, it wasn't much better. So, I mean, there's no other way than, you know, Ronda Rousey being added to this has not added any interest to this show. If anything, it's decreased interest in this. And I'm not pinning that on Ronda Rousey. I think there's just, I don't know. I don't know. What do you have a theory on can. such I, such an enormous tune out? Well, again, you know, I think Total Divas is is attracts a very different audience from those that would typically watch Raw or SmackDown. It's they attract an E audience, maybe more of a Keeping Up with the Kardashians audience. And I I don't know Ronda Rousey's reputation with with the crowd. I mean, I've heard from people that you know watch the show that aren't wrestling fans who felt Ronda came across like really embarrassingly cringy. Um, in this particular episode, or at least last week's particular episode, it's, it's, you know, you're seeing very much like the Ronda Rousey who just can't stop talking about Travis Brown and about making babies. And I, you know, to me, it's not an indication of like, you know, the rating or anything, but I, I, it makes me wonder if she has that appeal and clearly judging by these ratings, the appeal is not enough for, for people to want to see her in a reality show setting. Yeah. Just to compare their, their last season of Total Divas last year. The first two episodes did 454 and 390,000 viewers respectively. So it's down an enormous amount from last year. Uh, Let's continue on with a few others here. Uh, This story was just hilarious, but completely predictable if you're a follower of professional wrestling. But if you are just tuning into the Rich Eisen show and hearing this, you're probably just thinking, "What, what is... This is just ridiculous. So Kevin Smith is on the show with Chris Jericho, and they're promoting the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Um, Have you heard what Jericho's role is in this reboot movie? I have not. He is a KKK leader. No. Yes. Jay and Silent Bob, I guess they're like trekking around the country and running into random people, and Jericho is a Klansman. 
Well, that is certainly a, a, a you know, a career uh, risk, but I'm curious to see it. I'd love to see Jericho. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to watch this movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen all his movies, so I will continue. Uh, but anyway, the story that Kevin Smith revealed was he's putting over appearing at Dynamite the last week, and him and Jason Mewes were scheduled to be at the SmackDown premiere on Friday. And guess who dropped them on Thursday saying they are no longer needed for SmackDown Whoa. after their AEW appearance? Oh, my. Damn. So Kevin Smith did say they were very nice about it, but they were told, uh, your appearance, you will not be needed for SmackDown after appearing on TNT. So for all of you people out there about it's, oh, the winners are the fans. Now you get to see more. And we're, we're not at battle with anyone. It's just, you know, that, that is what we're talking about here. And and I, I don't even say, like, if it was the other way around, maybe AEW would do the same thing as well. I mean, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes were, I won't say super prominent, but it was, uh, you know, they were all over their show. So WWE didn't want them on theirs. Didn't angle on VTE. That's right. Yeah, they did, they did quite a lot with them. Uh, New Japan has officially announced all of the teams for the Super Junior Tag League. The teams will be the Birds of Prey, Will Ospreay and Robbie Eagles, Rapongi 3K, El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Taiji Ishimori and El Fantasmo, Tiger Mask and Yuya Uemura, Ryusuke Taguchi and Rocky Romero, TJP and Clark Connors, and representing CMLL, Teton and Volador Jr., not Dragon Lee, who is not being brought in for this tournament, and he was uh, reported to be Teton's partner in this. So that whole fracturing of the relationship between uh, the Munoz family and CMLL Obviously, we see where New Japan is aligning themselves and Dragon Lee finds himself out of this tournament, which is somewhat unfortunate because I think he would have been um, a welcome addition to this to this lineup with some of the matches. But I can't say this was a, a shock when I saw this on Tuesday night. No, I don't think so either. I think the question remains, you know, how involved he'll be with Dragon, uh, sorry, Ring of Honor. I was about to say Dragon. It, it, it's a great question like i you would think as long as roosh is their champion and they're utilizing him that they'll be using dragon lee but what does that do on the cmll relationship like it feels like roh has a decision to make um unless cmll is just going to ignore it but they seem like they've been pretty aggressive on not wanting their talent to be on shows where Roosh and Dragon Lee are wrestling on. So the fact that one of their partners is using them, you would think that would cause some friction. Yeah. And again, like this triangle between CMLL, ROH and, and New Japan um, continues to be really interesting watching, you know, from the outside. I feel like something is going to is going to break soon. Just feel no like. ROH guys on in this tag league. Yeah, I mean, if anything, yeah, maybe it's already broken in that they've already, you know, started to really sever ties. So uh, maybe eventually you might get a formal announcement, or maybe this is just going to be it, and and you know you'll see a bit more distinction between all all, all three, or at least two of the three. So it's it's a it's a it you know it's a good looking tournament. I would say otherwise. Otherwise, still, I'm really excited to see more of the Birds of Prey. They are one of the tag teams I'm most interested in. Period. I mean, again, Will Ospreay in every single tournament pretty much thus far this year. He just has one more after this. Yeah. He's going to do the, the final tag league, which I I believe, I I don't know for a fact, but I'm thinking he's going to do it with Ishii. That's my prediction. Complete it. Why not? You know, this is, this is going to be, I, I don't think enough has been made about the year this guy has had. Oh, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. 
oh, trust me, like, by the time, like, our, our year-end awards come out, he'll be everywhere. Like, we won't stop talking about that guy. He'll be winning, yeah. like, multiple awards. But I'm amazed that his body has kept up, like, throughout yeah. all this, you know? Yeah, the first night of the tournament is October 16th, and the highlight match on that first night uh, is Ishimori and El Fantasmo against Osprey and Robbie Eagles, which should tear the house down. That should be outstanding. And then the finals are at Power Struggle, which is... I'm already looking at that one. That's the next insane weekend because we've got Crown Jewel on the 31st. Mm-hmm. Then we have a SmackDown on the Friday night, which is crazy for whoever has to work both Crown Jewel and SmackDown. Saturday is the Masvidal Nate Diaz UFC card, which also has the MLW pay-per-view that night. And then Sunday, we've got Power Struggle. And we also have the CN Tower Climb, John. So, that weekend? You training for that? Oh, yeah. 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 Can we do it? Um, maybe we can do it. Um, While that's we're going to be my, that, that will be my power struggle is getting up the CN Tower. <laughs> uh, I'm, so not the sure, fun- I'm not sure if I'm doing it yet, but yeah. Oh, you're you're not committed yet. So 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 I guess we'll have to do power struggle. When are we recording that? Well, uh, we'll- that's that's on November 3rd. So that's a Sunday. We can yeah, do it Sunday evening. Sunday morning. Oh, I'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, that's that's a that's years away in my in my brain right now. Final thing before we sign off. Um NWA Power and AEW Dark. I have not seen AEW Dark. Do you want to share yeah. some of your thoughts on the first episode and uh utilizing the matches they taped last week? I was honestly surprised that it was as substantial of of a show as as it was. It was a full hour of pretty much like end-to-end wrestling with links shot with uh Tony Schiavone from like their virtual set that they use for a road to, uh, just introducing all the matches and teeing up, uh, you know, the, the 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 episode of Dynamite that was to come the next day, um, very much like you know full matches uninterrupted with commercials, obviously because it's YouTube and you it was a it was a space where you got to see you know a lot of the talent that wasn't utilized on the body of the TV show. Uh, I would say like the matches were all very good. With the exception of the women's match, which I didn't really personally get into, um, but everything else was like really solid. I will say, watching it after NWA Power, though, I felt like it was almost, you know, too much of the same of what I've I've already seen. Um, I didn't necessarily need it. However, next week, of course, will be very different, especially if there's a Kenny Omega Joey Janela match. But you know, it, I. Certainly by that point, I wasn't craving for more, but NWA Power, which John and I, I think you should, you and I should talk about right now, to yep. me was like such a breath of fresh air. Actually, such a breath of old air that <laughs> hasn't been breathed for such a long time that it felt fresh. That to me, like firmly established the NWA as having a place in like in the wrestling landscape because it was completely different. So you and I talked about this last week and the tapings took place a week ago, Monday and Tuesday. And the first night there was photos from those inside the arena and you got to see the set design. And if you saw those photos, you were hooked. I think you were buying into, I might not become a regular viewer, but I want to at least check this out to see what it is. I think it was the best commercial they could have asked for was those set photos getting out. I think it was a guy by the name of Ben Turpin who tweeted it out. And when you saw this set, I think like that was the door opening. And to see on Tuesday night, like I was curious to watch this, 
And to see, we talk about all the hours of wrestling content and just trying to be able to get people's attention to see what the NWA did on Tuesday night, where for one night they were able to cut through all of the clutter on nights when you did have other stuff that you could watch if you so chose. Like Impact was airing their pay-per-view on Access. AEW Dark was there. And, you know, and you had other options for sure. And it just seemed like on my timeline, everyone was just gushing about this show. Reddit it was, as well. It was all like I'm looking – we're talking here on a Wednesday night and on YouTube alone, this thing has 215,000 views. Now, of course, that's, you know, people that click on it, how long they watched it. But this thing was this first thing, this first episode, it could not have been a bigger hit than what it was and was above what I expected it to be coming out of the gate like this. This definitely The Rock tweeted about this today. Wow. More importantly, I think it, it'll it'll be a show that will continue to attract more people because through word of mouth and Let's perhaps get into maybe some of the nuts and bolts of, of why you and I might have liked this show so much. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right, John, the set, but it's just like the ethos of like what they're trying to set up. And I really do have to give credit to like the um, 10 Pounds of Gold series that David Lagana and Lightning One have been producing thus far, which with like, you know, um, they, they released one right before this episode trying to, you know, tell you like what, some behind the scenes of like what it was like to, to shoot this. But more importantly, you saw like a a pre-production interview with Billy Corgan talking to the talent of what he was looking for. And he talked about something how like about like wanting to set the stage for people, for the talent, because he thinks talent should be talented. People should be whatever he, he made an analogy to like writing an album and leaving space for a guitarist to write a solo. And he doesn't have to like tell the guitarist, Hey, write me a great solo. He knows a guitarist is going to, do a great solo himself because that's what they're trained to do. And he has that same philosophy with wrestlers. He's going to craft out this show, him along with David, David Lagana and all the other people involved. They're going to craft this show and leave these empty spaces for very talented people to have their wrestling matches, to cut their promos. And that's what the show felt like. It felt like wrestlers being wrestlers in a very bare bones, very nostalgic setting as well. But, the, but the, I think the, the the what 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 feels so great about that nostalgia is that this is a place where wrestlers have minimal production and they are talented and you trust them to be talented in front of a live TV or at least a a, a tape TV audience and and I think it was also getting several personalities across in this format so that it's not just leaning on the nostalgia because ultimately you I don't think you can do that long term where the only appeal is the fact that it's dressed up as an old studio wrestling show. But the positive of that is like the NWA, they cannot do a giant budget production. So if you have to go smaller budget, make that your calling card. I'm not watching this feeling like I'm watching something where it's a hundred people in this small studio. It's, it doesn't feel low, low rent it at all. It mm-hmm. felt like professionally done. You had some great talkers on this and just, th- just the principle of the show was we have a main event and we're going to constantly remind you of this main event throughout the show, add to the story. And at the end of it, there is this, the question, will this be Tim Storm's last opportunity at the NWA championship? And by the end of the night, you got an answer to that question. And it was just, 
um, very refreshing to hear. And you had, I think, a lot of the right guys in terms of Nick mm-hmm. Aldis, who was phenomenal as your champion, playing that role on this show. You had uh, you, you had Eli Drake, who is a very underrated talker, and I think not enough focus was placed on him in Impact. Uh, James Storm was in there. Then you had the total contrast in Eddie Kingston, who for yes. the brief time he was on, he was great in this mm-hmm. in this format. I think one of the calling cards that we've seen, you know, aside from um, the, the 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 concept of like the the, the nostalgia and, and the stage, is the fact that they are getting to feature the best talkers in the industry, or at least people who can talk incredibly well that aren't being featured and and you know aren't being allowed to given given the space to talk the way they do uh, here on this show, and you. Like, I'm excited all of a sudden for Eli Drake now. All of a sudden, I'm excited for James Storm. You look at this roster, like, on paper, it does not look all that interesting at all, to be quite honest with you. But no, when you They're not going in the direction of, like, hey, we're not going out there to try and do blow-away matches. But yeah, we're, we're going to ha- hopefully have stories where you care about the – and that's a question. Like, today's audience, like, they very much – they want that high-quality wrestling, and they're doing something different. And I, I would – I would argue that maybe you have to try something different versus trying to be one of so many others that you can't compete at that level with so many others that have the the endless talent rosters and production behind it. Like you, I, I don't know if you can be competitive going that direction. No, you can't. And I think that, again, that's what is so brilliant about like them doubling down on the history and and the nostalgia front of it because wrestling. At least, you know, what I know of wrestling from this particular era that they're trying to replicate is that it is very much talk, maybe personality first, promo first, and in-ring has to be at a certain level, but not necessarily the be-all, end-all. So I'm not expecting Canadian destroyers. I'm not expecting, you know, uh, uh, triple moonsaults to come from, from this particular show. You might still get them, but to me, they're added bonuses. What I am expecting are five-star promos. People that can improvise and 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 deliver like great pro wrestling trash talk, and they managed to find a great cast thus far. And I'm really impressed that that like even somebody like Eddie Kingston, he you wouldn't necessarily associate with this style of like wrestling, really shines in a in a show like this. So um, great choice of, of of cast members, great execution in this first episode, and I'm really excited to see like what what other talent that's out there that isn't necessarily being like sought after by you know all these other companies what can they do in this type of setting in this playground yeah um i thought the the commentary team of joe galley and jim Cornette, they've been great on those past nwa pay-per-views i I thought that great voices to kind of convey this one of my favorite scenes on this was when eddie kingston is confronting the the dawson's and we're right at like the the studio interview setup like you remember from jim crockett promotions and it's david marquez who's the interviewer and then earlier in the night you had james storm and josephus brawling and the camera just pans over as it's just this out of control scene like we go from one brawl to the next and i think they got like the unpredictable chaos across in that one pan it looked exactly i mean like they really kind of like nailed the look of it um like my my kind of like familiarity with this style of wrestling was from uh cutting a lot of wrestling at the chase when i was working at the fight network and this exactly had that type of feel down to like just the camera angles the height of the camera 
it's interesting, like, you know, talking about the production of this, this is what's so fascinating to me is that, like, like you mentioned, John, like, they can't compete with the big stages of AEW or WWE. They can't compete with the camera work of, or, or just, like, the, the budget of uh, fireworks, pyro, all that shit. But they don't need to because they're on a completely different path. And it's almost like, because they're trying to replicate what wrestling was like at that time, the shittier it looks, the more authentic it almost feels, you know? So I think it's it's fucking brilliant, and to me, it really worked. Yeah, I like NWA. Like they're in the same boat that MLW is in, where we're trying to do something totally different in the hopes that there is that television outlet or streaming platform that wants wrestling and are looking at some alternative. And that, to me, is what th- those companies are competing for to ultimately land one of those big deals. And I would say that if you are just assessing from the outside and you're banking on like what what promotion is going to make it and you include ROH and Impact and NWA and MLW, it's like I, I look at all of them are doing different things, but I think that the NWA, they're they're trying to just do things on a pretty low scale and I think just alone the visual – it's just such a stark contrast. Yeah. And and you see MLW, they're trying to do a lot of different things within the body of their show. And interestingly enough, both of them, like 60 minutes, that's what they're keeping their shows to. It's manageable. I mean, you're you're at a point now where you're trying to be either number three or number four. And wrestling fans don't really have a lot of time to give anymore. So an hour is is good. Um, I think it's it's almost, you know, perfect. Until you see more demand, there's no need to put more more effort into that production. Um, but yeah, really, really impressed with, with the first effort. Now, will you, John, cause I noticed in your report, you did not go with the three R's. I'm not, power. I'm not spelling this power. I think that's a mistake. I don't, I don't think that's necessary, especially seeing the hashtag, you know, power. It's a well, little too cute. I'm, I'm reading th- this article on the rap which is a pretty well-known entertainment outlet. They went with, it's in quotations, power. But here are some stats from that rap article. This is uh, from Tony Maglio, who's been on our show. Of of the more than, this was written on like Tuesday afternoon, or is today Tuesday? Today's Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. Of the more than 2 million minutes watched, and first of all, the rap is covering the NWA. 22.1% 22.1% of those came from suggested viewing from those watching AEW Dark. Wow. So people watching that, I guess it was like other suggestions and sent people over to NWA Power. Yeah. Like this thing really hit on Tuesday night far more than I thought it would. Um, and probably, they be not, able to ke- probably not intentional at all because they announced their time before AEW Dark did, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. And, yeah, and we it, knew it this worked, was coming before. It worked the other way too, because like in my like top suggestion is AEW dark watching, but obviously you know NWA is getting a bit more from AEW, I, I would imagine. Um, but you know, I think I think again it goes to show like what is required. And you know, people always ask us, John, like, oh, we're starting our podcast. Like, do you have any advice? And often our advice is to find something different, like find your niche. And I'm just judging by by my my own interest in wrestling this year. What has been the th- the things that I've been most excited about? DDT's pool wrestling, uh, GCW Bloodsport, GCW Spring Break, and now NWA 
yeah, like whatever they're doing here. And every one of those things is unique. Everything else to me is so much feels like an attempt to try to replicate either uh, NXT or WWE. And I feel like we already have a pretty good version of that in AEW. And I don't really have much more room in my life for, you know, another uh, fact, uh, promotion that's trying to copy it. What I do have time for is something that feels completely different. And I'm really happy that I've, I found something else. Yeah, I, I'm i very curious to see um, what the tune-in numbers are like next week. Like if uh, they they came out and created way more momentum. That, like this, you could only categorize this as a home run. I haven't seen anything negative about this uh, for those that, that checked into it. So this was... You know, you, you hate to call it like an unforeseen hit, but I could not have predicted this Me for, for the NWA to come out like this and be able to present something that hit such an audience like this did on Tuesday. And they're kind of like this this little engine that could, and they certainly did on Tuesday night. Uh, and that segues in well, because we are going to be joined uh, this weekend by David Lagana, the vice president of the NWA. So we're going to chat all about episode one and... Looking ahead to episode two and all of the response to this as well. So uh, that will be dropping on Sunday up at postwrestling.com and will be free for everybody to check out. So we encourage you to do that. In the meantime, Way, what is coming up on the site? Well, on the site right now, uh, some great news updates, by the way, from John and Andrew Thompson. All the news that you, you just heard us talk about, you can read uh, articles uh, accompanying them on postwrestling.com. Those two put in excellent work into it all week long. So I recommend people check that out. But also, Up Next is right now, Up Next, on your podcast feed. So make sure you subscribe to Up Next for their review of tonight's edition of NXT featuring Walter and Kushida. And uh, we also have the Cafe Hangout coming out tomorrow. So we hope a lot of you guys will join us at our patrons. 3 o'clock Eastern Time, uh, Thursdays. We go live. You can call in, talk about NXT, NWA, AEW, Hell in a Cell, anything that's on your mind. It's our one chance of the week to hear your opinions live on the air friday is rewind to smackdown again on our patreon feeds right now so all 2000 of you have access to that show friday night john and i will be recording right after this week's draft edition of rewind to smackdown sun saturday post pro rest with john and wh what are you guys going to be talking about on Saturday's show, we're going to do a big preview of King of Pro Wrestling, which is coming up on Monday. We're also going to uh, discuss more about the Junior Tag League, and we're going to go through all of the Japanese candidates on the ballot for this year's Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, among the topics. Wonderful. So that'll be out Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning. Uh, David Lagana will be joining John Pollock on Sunday, as mentioned. Both those shows are on the free feed. And then on Monday afternoon, I want to say... John and I will have a King of Pro Wrestling review from New Japan Pro Wrestling on our Patreon. So if you sign up right now, not only do you get Rewind Away from uh, Tuesday talking about the Rumble from 94, you're going to get Rewind to SmackDown on Friday and on Monday, a bonus show reviewing New Japan Pro Wrestling's King of Pro Wrestling. That's right. Two shows from me and Way on Canadian Thanksgiving. So Oh, my God. Get, get, get the turkey out and just turn up the speakers because we got – Plenty of audio coming, and we got to re- we have to record our Spider Man review sometime too this weekend. Oh my god, because that's well, coming out Tuesday. We'll we'll make time for it at some point. So, with all that said, we are off. Goodbye, everybody. We'll chat with you on the Hangout Thursday, three o'clock. <laughs>